Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by another man that Barcelona paid over 100 million euros for and then loaned him out. His name <laughs> is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello, and I got no percentage of that one, so it really didn't work out for a number of different reasons. Yeah, but I pocketed a nice little fee and I got loaned a co-host, so it all worked out for Daryl. <laughs> I'm confused by this because now I feel like it might have actually happened. The way you're talking, I'm, I'm, I have questions. Let's, we'll check our, check our financial records afterwards. But I'm glad you're here on loan from Barcelona to talk about the Champions League quarterfinal. I was going to call it a 10-goal thriller, but it really wasn't, was it? Because it finished Barcelona 2, Bayern Munich 8, or ACT, as they would say. As they would say, Bayern Munich score 8 and then maybe sort of 9, if you want to include David Alaba's own goal. Yeah, kind of, kind of. He did have to make a play on that, right? Because that was definitely going to Suarez at the far point. Yes, yes. I've got, uh, I've got a little sympathy for David Alaba yeah. there. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about those opening 10 minutes because it was a strange game from start to finish, not just because yeah. of the scoreline. Lots of stuff going on. And I think we're both kind of in agreement that a little bit end of an era, uh, the vibe to this game. Yes. So I think, yeah, the big headline and the big story is that this kind of is the end of an era mm-hmm. of this of this Barcelona team, right? Yeah. In a way, like the the Busquets, uh, Messi, uh, maybe even Piquet, all in their like mid to early 30s, right? 32, 33. It feels like there's going to be change coming. But I don't want to lead with that. And I know you don't either. I think I that's a conversation not. for later in the show. Mm. Uh, we'll do the eulogy later. How about that? Sure. <laughs> and then what happens next kind of stuff later. I really want to start with, with this game. And I also, at your recommendation... I kind of want to start with Bayern sure. because it's not all about Barcelona being bad. There was a team in this game that scored eight goals and they didn't just do that by accident. <laughs> uh, no, they certainly did not. In fact, I don't think they scored any by accident. They scored all of them intentionally and yeah. they were pretty much the dominant team throughout the entire game. Those, as I said, those opening 10 minutes are a little bit more back and forth than I remembered. But once they Let's go talk ahead... About that. Let's talk about that first thing because I sure. think most people won't remember that because mm-hmm. it finishes 8-2... The first 10 minutes really were back and forth, right? I mean, there were two goals in the opening seven minutes. Yeah, and, um, and not just the goals, but then you have Boateng uh, cutting out a cross. Basically, it's almost yes. the exact same play that David Alaba scores the own goal. Boateng puts the mirror it wide. image, right? Yeah, and then there's off of a corner. Messi bends one in that nobody gets to, and it hits the yep. post. That easily could have been in. It really could have been 3-1 Barcelona was- in the opening 10 minutes. And that hit in the post was just after Semedo had put Suarez through on goal and yeah, right. mm-hmm. saved it. Yeah, And I think that was all about Bayern's high line and Luis Suarez doing his brilliant, I'm going to hang out just offside kind of thing um, and then like jump back on. Mm-hmm. And then Barcelona getting players down the wings, like Jordi Alba crosses for that, what, what's eventually an own goal. There was a weakness in Bayern's high line for Barcelona to exploit. And there was a weakness in Barcelona's defensive setup for Bayern to exploit. Yeah. And I, I honestly think this game could have gone either way. But when that sort of second and third goal hit in quick succession, I've got that right, right? Like the uh, Perisic and then Gnabry yeah. um, and then Thomas Muller. So second, third and fourth goal. When that hit in quick succession, it was a little bit like when Bane bo- broke Batman's back and threw him down in the pit. <laughs> um, only in this case, uh, Barcelona tried to climb out of the pit, fell off and just stayed down there. Yeah, except even in that fight, Bane had pretty much the upper hand the entire time. <laughs> like, like, so, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. That I, th- I think 
with that said, like I think Bayern start to get more chances, start to look the better team, and I think do make a few little adjustments that sort of negate what Barcelona were trying to do and were sort of effectively doing in those opening 10 or 15 minutes. And once they're able to do that, specifically put a lot more pressure on those center backs playing those long balls, I think they really sort of run into uh, problems, do Barcelona. And for Bayern Munich, I think they yeah. really just start to dictate the game entirely. And B- Bayern, Bayern basically then never look back and are able to do sort of what they want throughout. So you're saying Barcelona were able to play some long balls yeah. from their centre-backs early mm-hmm. on. Is that kind of how Jordi Alba got free down the down the wing to cross for y- the own goal? Yeah, I think Bayern were trying to go for the high line and consistent, the and consistent press. And yeah. the problem that I saw was that basically they weren't doing a good enough job of tracking those uh, fullbacks when they would make those runs forward, be it Jordi Alba or Nelson Semedo. But then it was also uh, like a thing that never gets talked about as much because you always focus on the back line and should they be stepping, should they be keeping a more organized line is just that if you don't put pressure on a center back like Gerard Piquet and Longley to some extent, they can ping those balls. And that was a yeah. big outlet option that they kept utilizing was diagonal balls from the center backs to advancing uh, fullbacks. And Byron weren't dealing with that effectively so that then but only for 10 20 spots. minutes right? exactly and 10, then they really minutes. do so, then they make little adjustments yeah and how it, did how did Bayern fix it is the big the question i want to ask you then because that's really what happened for the rest of the game right yeah. so we're, we're essentially then talking about Bayern not with the ball but how Bayern apply pressure to Barcelona and stop the build-up and actually make Barca panic a couple times more than a couple times right mm-hmm. um, and strip the ball off them so let's talk about how Bayern applied pressure Sure. I mean, I think two little adjustments that, that I was alluding to. The first one would be that I think their fullbacks go a little bit wider. I think they were trying to keep a sort of contained back four. Uh, so in Kimmich, Kimmich Fawateng, Alaba, and then Alfonso uh, Davies. And I yeah. think Davies and Kimmich both just go maybe a couple yards wider and continue to keep that high line. But it really does then just – it you don't have that visible space anymore. You don't have those big gaps that you can spot if you're a fullback – or if you're a center back for Barcelona trying to play out. But then also I think you're – wingers, uh, in this case Canabrian Perisic, also start to step a little bit higher and pin those fullbacks back. And at that yeah. point, even if Jordi Alba is able to make a run, even if there is space in behind, if he's starting from 10, 15, 20, 30 yards deeper, it's so much more ground to cover that you don't have that immediate outlet anymore. And once you don't have that, you have kind of rushed passes or no options and you end up turning the ball over. And what you don't have either ever is the Sergio Busquets option. That's yeah. how Barcelona for the last... 10 or more years have wanted to play right under every coach the ball goes like through like deep midfield through the pivot through Sergio Busquets the big thing I noticed is that Robert Robert Lewandowski who we always talk about his like um, complete goal scoring makeup and all his skill set we don't often talk about his defensive um, capabilities or his defensive um, stick to <laughs> but I saw a lot in this game of Robert Lewandowski just tracking Sergio Busquets everywhere. And if he ever left him, he made sure to switch off with Thomas Muller. So suddenly Barcelona don't have um, their their favourite let's play it short to Sergio Busquets and he'll make something happen option. So I think a, a sort of a salute to what's probably going to be some underappreciated work, but I think is key to this game. Then I think the other thing that is really interesting there, because I do agree with everything you've said, the thing I would add is that what I think Kike Setien tries to do is anticipate that they're going to sit on Busquets, and so he then has Frankie de Jong in there as well, Barca defending in a pretty flat 4-4-2 with a decent amount of space in between those lines, but I think the idea was Frankie de Jong can then also be an option, and you could never really mark off either one of them, but then what I kept noticing was that you're right, Lewandowski sitting on Busquets, Frankie de Jong would get the ball, and there were a lot of those sort of like 
when you take four touches with the outside of your foot of like, I'm settling the ball. Now I'm turning. Now I'm turning yeah. back. Now I'm playing with the outside of my foot because though he would get the ball and it was decently open, no one else is around him and no one else is moving and no one else is open. And he routinely was dribbling into pressure or having to play it backwards and then invite that press in. And so what I think Setien thought would be a way to alleviate some of that pressure and alleviate some of the responsibility on Busquets really, in some ways, exacerbated what Barcelona were trying to do. Yeah, and uh, I, don't, I mean, I don't necessarily want to get into the details of the goal just yet, but the second goal, the Perisic goal, mm-hmm. starts with Frankie de Jong being dispossessed in midfield as he's taking heavy touches in tight spaces. It's Semedo and de Jong are basically surrounded by four Barcelona players. And even Frankie de Jong, who is like brilliant at accelerating out of trouble or finding a clever pass out of trouble, could not find could not find a way out. And yeah, then he suddenly Bayern are back at them. He was not the only one who was dispossessed yes. for Barcelona in that in that true. in the lead up to that goal itself. <laughs> like <laughs> multiple Barca players give the ball away there. So yeah, I'm with you. But I think that was really effective work from Bayern Munich, who also just don't panic. And that is a big thing. Yes. That if you go ahead one nil early and you feel like, okay, we're coasting, and I do think there's a little bit of that, that they felt very confident. They felt like, yeah, the hype was justified. We're going to win this one 4 nil. Maybe Vidal they was a wrong. Bit... What's that? Vidal was wrong. Yeah, yes, yes, he definitely was. <laughs> I'm assuming he'll be very quiet in the post-match uh, interviews. But I think... It's a testament to Bayern Munich that after that equalizer happens and there are those moments of nerviness and they do hit the post, Barcelona, I think there is a response and there is a fight back, which is so fundamentally different from the Bayern Munich that you and I saw in Germany that we saw earlier in the season under Niko Kovac. I think that's a big part of Hansi Flick. He's just brought belief back to that team or has reinstilled that belief and you could see that fight on display today. (laughs) So I watched the first half on uh, Today NA. Um, and obviously the commentary is in Spanish and my Spanish is, you know, I know like 10 words, maybe. Hmm. Uh, but after that Thomas Muller goal, um, I heard the commentators talking, talking, talking. And I just heard the word, the, the name, Nico Kovac. Yes, I heard that <laughs> I, too. I heard and that I just too. Thought, I just thought, I don't speak Spanish, but I yeah. know exactly what you just said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Context clues. Thank you today, NA. Uh, Context clues. I'd also, I want to underline for, for you um, talking about how Bayern didn't panic. There was a moment that really stood out to me. It's in the build-up to the fourth goal. Um, there's a moment when Perisic receives the ball on the left wing. You just mm. laughed in a way that said this is probably in your notes as well. I'm just um, laughing at like <laughs> trying to keep track of which thing you want to talk about happened for which of the many, many goals in this game. Yeah, well, I mean, we're not going to go through goal by goal, right? So we're going to have to just pull examples as we go to illustrate what we're talking about. I mm-hmm. think I think our listeners are going to be okay with that, right? No one wants the sequential 10 goals, do they? Someone I, I will. Doubt it. I doubt it. Email Taylor at Total Soccer Show if that's what you want. Um, there's a moment, Taylor, in the build-up to the fourth goal where things had been frantic, 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 right, for the first 20, 25 minutes. Um, Perisic puts his foot on the ball on the left wing and he's got loads of space. And we'll talk about why Perisic maybe has way too much space yeah. on that left wing. And he does that gesture. It's actually the Ross from Friends gesture where, you know, you do your hands, mm-hmm. uh, palms down and just tell everybody to, to calm down. Do you know what I'm does he about? use the thumbs too to pinch it down? Because that is the Ross from Friends full gesture. In the... fact, he doesn't use the thumbs, oh. and that's why when when Ross Geller does it, it's annoying. When Perisic does it, it's actually calming. <laughs> but and when he does it, they all listen. Uh, Bayern yeah. do start. They still possess the ball and they move it from side to side, but they just do it a little bit slower and you suddenly feel like this isn't this wild end-to-end game that it has been for me that the moment that Perisic does the Ross Geller but better 
that's the moment that Bayonet in control of this game um, as opposed to it being frantic. Did so, you notice I slowed, I slowed the rhythm of my speaking to illustrate what Perisic did and how Bayern were passing it? I did. I actually disagree with you, though, on this one oh. because I watched this one as well and I I'm interested it. to hear how you're wrong. Please tell because, me. Because, well, maybe the, like, the disagreement is just maybe what happens after this goal because I think this goal comes from, like, it's a long ball over the top that Barcelona kind of don't deal with really well. It ends up with Semedo trying to shield it out of bounds and I think it is actually Perisic who keeps it in bounds and Megs Semedo, and then Lewandowski plays it in, yes. and we kind of end up getting a, a chaos goal, a Muller hello on the end of this one. But I think that was, it was a bit more like high pressure for me yes. in that one, but I so, do think you're right that then afterwards, they definitely slow it down a bit more, do Bayern Munich. All right, let's say it this way. I'm, I'm, I'm happy for us to both be right here then, because I 100% agree that that goal does come from that high pressure on Semedo. I mean, it kind of does send out invitations for high pressure, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Letting that ball try and roll out. We would have had yeah. to wait two hours for it to roll out, maybe. Um, but what I'm arguing is that, yeah, Bayern applied loads and loads and loads of high pressure. But like in the couple minutes before that, there was a moment, maybe build up was the wrong word, because it's maybe like a couple minutes before the actual goal. Um, it's just, you know, how my notes are arranged. That's, that's my fault for like referring to it that way. There just was this moment where Perisic said, OK, now for a while, we're going to slow this. We're going to slow this down. And my point is more that, that for me, this was the moment where it was really clear that Bayern were in control of whether the ball goes fast or slow and they can do either. And Barcelona was sort of at the mercy of Bayern Munich. Yeah, I mean, I think that is that is very much the case. The reason why I maybe am a stickler for timing here is because I went back and looked at those first four goals. Uh, three of the first four goals uh, from the time that Bayern Munich win the ball back to the time it goes in the net, if you add it up, they're in possession for 30 seconds total. <laughs> for oh, each yeah. of those, they're in possession for six seconds for the uh, second goal, 15 for the first, and nine for the fourth. So adding I mean- those up, 30 seconds of possession, three goals, not bad. I will say this, one of the things that I really like about Hansi Flick's Bayern is they're, they're very good at the sort of uh, varying tempo, right? There's a reason why sometimes they're able to, to kill you in six seconds. Mm-hmm. It's because sometimes they've been a little bit slower before that. So it's a little like slow, low, slow, slow, fast. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So they, they can hit you with all kinds of tempos. They're and then a very, I think you're a very right good though. band in that way. They certainly are. And I think you're, you're right to focus on this goal in particular because I think you're totally right that after they have smashed Barcelona effectively, have gotten that 4-1 lead, I think you do see Bayern slow it down a little bit because I think there's an awareness that they can't keep that tempo up. You can't keep that pressure up. And also, if you try to, you you're going to leave yourself more exposed. <laughs> all right all this talk of tempo has made me hungry mm-hmm. taylor um so it's worth reminding our listeners that today's show is sponsored by hello fresh america's number one meal kit hello fresh lets you skip those trips to the grocery store and makes home cooking fun easy and affordable that's right and over 90 percent of their ingredients are sourced directly from growers to ensure the freshest recipes are delivered to your door so it's not just easy and convenient it's also nice and fresh there's also contactless delivery, which I think means you can wear glasses um, or have LASIK. Hmm. No, contactless delivery means uh, that you don't have to have an interaction and maybe risk a bit of coronavirus getting bounced around. You get contactless delivery to your doorstep for easy home cooking with the family, nice and safe. It's a very fancy way of saying they put the package on your on your stoop, on your doorstep, what it might be, <laughs> and then that it's ready to go. They yep. cut out uh, the stressful meal planning, trips to the grocery store, which is infuriating when you've done the the whole elaborate trip to the grocery store and then on the way home you remember that one other ingredient that you needed that you forgot to put on your list but you were totally going to remember and then you didn't if you use HelloFresh, all the ingredients are in the box in the correct sizes and you've got the instructions telling you exactly what to do with them even better you can save 80 dollars if you go to hellofresh.com 
com slash 80 TSS and then use the code 80 TSS that's 80TSS you get a total of $80 off including free shipping on your first box additional restrictions apply please visit, Hello, visit hellofresh.com for more details that's uh, hellofresh.com slash 80TSS use the code 80TSS to get a total of $80 off including free shipping on that first box thank you very much to HelloFresh for sponsoring today's episode of the Total Soccer Show should we get back to an episode that Barca fans will almost certainly not want to listen to <laughs> let, let, let's do that let's mm-hmm. do that I do actually want to talk about we've talked a lot about how Bayern defended mm-hmm. right and how they made it really hard for Barcelona after that first 10 minutes we've talked a bit about their temp, the tempo of their attacking I'd actually like to talk about their attacking shape if, if that's good with you sure because one thing that really struck me is you mentioned that they pushed Kimmich and Davies their fullbacks high um, when defending I think that's also key to their attack is that they push Kimmich wide right Davies wide left and, and it's almost like a positional play staple, right? Is then you make sure that those guys are out on the touchlines and you can stretch the opposition out. And then beyond them, you've then got uh, Perisic and Gnabry and Muller and Lewandowski and Goretzka joining the attack. Like they've got all that space to play in because the wings are covered by uh, Kimmich and Davies. Side note, it's weird that Goretzka has become just such an integral performer, right? Because there was yes. that period where it was like, oh, is this move going to be good? It's it's another so one of those kind of like uh, uh, like under the radar free transfer things yeah. that maybe you want to get another shocker giveaway. Right, exactly. Yeah. And then so, here we side are. Note, why is Weston McKenney the moment when Schalke start demanding money? Yeah, it doesn't seem fair. It doesn't <laughs> feel like the timing is necessarily appropriate on that one, but such is life. <laughs> They're like, oh, players aren't supposed to be free. I didn't know. <laughs> But yes, I agree. I thought Goretzka was magnificent because he was really good at knowing when to sit alongside Thiago when a bit of defending had to be done, Mm -hmm. uh, but also knowing when to step and then knowing when to join the attack. That was always a hallmark of his game, right? The sort of late arrivals of Leon Goretzka. He's like a a muscly Frank Lampard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe a little bit faster. I can, I never remember how fast Frank Lampard was, but the I mean, quickness he's of Gretzka. Than him now. Yeah, true. Uh, the quickness <laughs> of Gretzka is is I think an underrated thing because I did see him sort of get into spots like quickly. There was a decent amount of acceleration, but also the quickness of the thinking. Uh, I think Jermaine Janus doing the color commentary thought it was Thomas Muller. That's how crafty uh, that one assist was. Uh, <laughs> the really, really Muller hello is when you impersonate Thomas Muller. Also that, yeah. <laughs> um, sorry, I interrupted you. Oh, it's okay. I think it was pretty much finished. Um, all right, I, but I also want to talk about the movement of Perisic and Gnabry because I think this is key to the first couple of goals. It's that Gnabry's on the right, theoretically, and Perisic is on the left. But I think the first couple of goals involve a Gnabry overload on the left when Gnabry just drifts over and essentially they do double wing duties to go mm-hmm. at Semedo. Yeah, I mean... You can do that, I guess, when it's Nelson Semedo. I also felt like uh, Semedo was not necessarily helped by the people in front of him. Uh, He is definitely going to be a person that that people will point fingers at for not having a very good game and for making some mistakes, and he certainly did. But even on the one where he's, say, shredded by Alfonso Davies, it is because he keeps having to pick up somebody else or deal with another man or just be aware of who else is around him because, uh, yeah, either Sergio Roberto or uh, for in both cases, for both fullbacks, it was Arturo Vidal also not necessarily sticking to his positional requirements. All right, before we talk about Barcelona's defensive frailties, um, do you mind joining me if we go a little more detailed on the first couple of goals sure. and this Gnabry-Perisic uh, combination? Because um, what I really like about it is Gnabry seems to know that if he double teams on the left with Perisic, but then he drifts infield, then uh, Perisic can like 
overlap and suddenly have loads of space on that left wing, leaving him free to either put crosses in, which is what he did for Thomas Muller for the first one, right? I know Muller does the one-two with Lewandowski, but he's originally found because Perisic has space to find him. Um, and for the second goal, you know, the one where he fires it into the, the far post, the thing of Gnabry driving inside and then laying it out to Perisic means essentially that Perisic has loads of space to shoot in the box, like way more space than anyone should have to shoot in the box, which is why he's able to score from like what looks like an unlikely angle, but because he's got so much time on the ball, a really good professional footballer can easily do that, right? I mean, it's also Jared Piquet completely missing the tackle and being 15 yards out of the play that I yes. think opens up some space for him. Um, but, he, but he's been pulled over because uh, Semedo has been beaten yeah. higher up the field, right? Yeah. So he's actually pulled out of position. And that's got a domino effect for the rest of Barcelona's defenders as well. I'm not trying to take us back to Barcelona for a second, but this is a genuine question well, let's do it. for you. Let's talk about because, if you want. Well, no, no, no. I just, I, I, I don't know the answer to this. I think it's a, a, a case of things can be two things. But is this Bayern Munich, like with the approach you're talking about, with creating overloads and and just sort of overwhelming Barcelona, but then still having options elsewhere, is that them getting this game entirely right and basically just completely? causing Barcelona so many problems that they don't know how to deal with it? Or is it also Barcelona not doing themselves favors? Because I don't think that 4-4-2 sort of open approach helped them even to begin with. And I think it certainly doesn't help if you're a little bit stretched, if you're a little bit too open when those overloads are happening. So is this the case that like Bayern were very, very good, but also Barcelona's approach and overall performance was very, very bad? I mean, yeah, that's that's obviously, that's definitely what happened. I don't think you'll find yeah, a person think, on planet Earth that would argue with you, including maybe Setien and Vidal and Piquet and Busquets. Yeah, I think, I think <laughs> what I mean is, is, like, maybe this is too nerdy or nuanced, but, like, there can be a case of a team's game plan is just so perfect that the other opponent cannot handle it. Yeah. And then it can also be the case that a team's game plan is very good, but the opponent themselves are also not set up to handle any sort of attack. Okay, and I think that's where I am with this. Here's how, here's how I see this. Um, Bayern's approach is actually basically what they do in the Bundesliga week in, week out. Even right? though it's, it's not very good. Don't forget, Daryl. Right. It's, but it's high pressure. And then it's like really good positional play when you've got the ball and you sort of make sure to stretch the field with your wide players, whether it's your fullbacks or, or your wingers. And then you have a bit of unpredictability about it, right? Like I mentioned Serge Gnabry, nominally right winger, but he would drift to the centre and to the left. Thomas Muller, nominally second striker, but he always drifts everywhere, right? It's what Thomas Muller does. So it's a lot of exploiting space. And they do that all the time against uh, other Bundesliga teams and they win the Bundesliga. But then you go up against Barcelona, who, you know, Arturo Vidal thinks is the best team in the world, yeah. um, even though they're um, uh, provably the second best team in the Liga. Yep. <laughs> um, you go up against Barcelona and do that. And Barcelona are not playing their A game, by which I mean Barcelona have gone out there with a weird defensive game plan that isn't their normal game plan and they're not capable of properly executing. So it's almost like Bayern would have more trouble playing against say Freiburg who have a defensive game plan that they play week in week out and they know to some extent how to deny you space it's actually harder to do that against Freiburg than it is to do it against Barcelona who were the way we described it like chatting or texting right was Barcelona were trying to do what Atletico Madrid do but doing it very very sloppily it's like the worst Atletico Madrid cover band you've ever heard and you're like (laughs) oh I I think that's supposed to be that song but all the one of one of the I think the bass player's out of tune (laughs) and the the lead guitarist hasn't shown up so I think I think it's a little bit like that it's like that's, that's a way for us to talk about maybe Barcelona's defensive shape and what it was supposed to be but what it actually wasn't 
It's like if they prioritize looking like the band. Like if everybody yes. looked like the members of Guns N' Roses but hadn't actually practiced how to sound like the band Guns N' Roses. Never, never learned to play guitar. Yeah. Like, Dude, and you look ex- just like Slash and you own that hat. And you're like, I, <laughs> I play drums. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but to extend your like Freiburg analogy a little bit more, I think it's also a fair point that like if it's Freiburg versus Bayern Munich, not only are they sort of more familiar with what Bayern are doing – they're also familiar with the fact that they are Freiburg, and they're going to sort yeah. of approach that game in a specific way to deal with an opponent who are very, very good. And to some extent, it felt like Barcelona were sort of like, you guys know we're Barcelona, right? Like, right. like why, why, are, why are you trying well, to beat us? Like, this isn't what happens. And, and th- well, there were moments point. in Barcelona, this game. Oh, sorry, go ahead. There were moments in this game when I could tell Barcelona were trying to execute their kind of move the ball quickly. We have the outlets out wide. We can sort of switch the point of attack and then we'll have numbers there to pass. And it just wasn't working. And rather than adapt or change, really, I think they make a few adjustments at halftime. But for the most part, it really did feel, even if it's an oversimplification, like you guys know that we're like, why are you doing this? Like, this isn't what yeah. you're supposed to be doing. It just seemed like they were sort of completely surprised yeah. by Bayern's to, approach. To, to give two really good examples to underline, if you look at the build-up to, again, the first Bayern goal and the second Bayern goal, um, the first goal is Busquets playing a ball square to De Jong and it's intercepted. Um, and I think in a way that just normally isn't intercepted in the Liga because there's that, not that much pressure on them. And the second goal is Semedo playing a ball square to De Jong, De Jong having too many touches and not finding his way out of trouble. In La Liga, I think he always finds his way out of trouble, right? Are you but sure that was Bayern, De Jong? I thought that was Sergio Roberto. It was, it was definitely De Jong who loses the ball um, in the, the build-up to the second goal. Okay. Um, if not, um, people can, can tweet at me. Okay, <laughs> but I'm pretty confident it was De Jong. Um, but either way, whether it was De Jong or Roberto, the the point is that normally they can play these short passes and play their way out of trouble, and just suddenly they can't, right? Mm-hmm. And on the flip side, um, to get back to the defensive side of it, essentially, Barcelona don't have to play this defensive game. It's just they they have they rarely come up against a team yeah. of the quality of Bayern where they need to have a really solid defensive structure. It's just not something that they're set up to do, and it's not something that they're practiced at. And I think, for me, this is the key thing, is when you watch... We talked yesterday about how Atletico Madrid are practiced at staying in that 4-4-2, staying compact, and moving in unison, right? Which is the key to playing that 4-4-2 defensive shape. What I saw was Barcelona trying to move in unison, but there would always be one, two, three, four even players who are a little like off off uh, off time off beat with with the other guys and so they're not in any sort of formation right it's like a little sloppy wobbly couple of lines and they're even slow to shuffle from side to side you would see like Bayern would switch it to say Perisic and I think Barcelona was supposed to shuffle over and deny him space but it takes so long to get over there that Perisic is like ready to cross by the time they're there yeah, and and so with that in mind, I'm not breaking any new ground when I say that I, like Kike Setien is going to be sacked after this game. It's it feels just a that matter way, of right? when. Yeah, we'll but talk like, about Barca's future later, maybe. Watching yes. some of the moments in this game, it felt like maybe like there were jokes of like, can you sack a manager at halftime? And to some extent, I feel like that might have been a consideration because <laughs> there were so many of those moments that you're talking about where they're supposed to be in a four four two. It's supposed to be sort of disciplined lines, and you're limiting space and you're limiting opportunities in the areas that the opponent wants it, and instead. I'm focusing in on him. I I don't think it's just because I thought he was going to get a red card, so I was really paying attention to Arturo Vidal. But multiple times, especially in the first half, he just kind of goes running. He tries to help apply pressure. And it reminds me of what we used to see from Alexis Sanchez at Arsenal, where he'd run forward and then be really angry that everybody else had not, and yeah. then would jog back, except that he is supposed to be a left midfielder who is defending, and instead there are 40 yards of space out wide that he is slowly jogging back into. But it's just like that I think lack of discipline. 
right? Because I think I think it's frustrating because I think mm-hmm. part of Barca's game plan is Messi, even though it's like kind of Messi and Suarez are the forwards, Messi is supposed to drift right because that's what he likes to do or come central. And I think Vidal is supposed to facilitate attacks down the left with Jordi Alba, but he ends up just like having to do a defensive job. And I think he's just frustrated and desperate to make something happen. Yeah, there's just there's one in particular. I took a screenshot of it, which I can share he's, on Twitter. He's if got want. he's got the McKenny LFG um, sort of brain sometimes, and it's not always the right thing to do. No, I think it was very much the wrong thing to do yeah. on this day because, like, what I was saying is, I think he he ends up in one moment on the right side of the field in like Bayern's defensive third as Bayern Munich are possessing the ball at midfield. Like he has gone just wandering to try to apply some pressure and is now 40 yards, 50 yards yeah. out of the, out of the play. And that cannot be what he was asked to do. Uh-uh. So to me, that sets in not having the authority to really stamp it down. I mean, Meanwhile, Hansi Flick is able to do pretty much exactly what he wants with this team. Yeah, and I think actually Vidal's a really good illustration of how these Barcelona players are not suited to playing the disciplined 4-4-2, right? Because Vidal is not a guy that you ask to hold position and stay in formation. Vidal is a guy that you, you know, you sort of uh, pull the cord on the chainsaw and let him go, right? <laughs> That's, so he's, he's never going to be able to play a disciplined uh, positional role. It just does not suit his skill set or his mindset. And then if you look at the centre of the midfield, even though they're two magnificent players, Sergio Busquets and Frankie de Jong, they are not defensive midfielders, really, right? They're possession-type midfielders. They, they can't be the solid centre of your team that tries to repel all these attacks. So if you're going to play any sort of defensive game, Busquets and De Jong are the wrong pair. Yeah. I mean, I think Michael Cayley uh, tweeted it, and I, and I would agree with it, that it seemed as though what Setien was trying to do was have a midfield that were capable of being, like, when they all kind of shift into the centre, that they're all capable of being on the ball and moving the ball quickly, so you yeah. could maintain possession and not have to do that defensive job, but then they still set up to do the defensive job, and that's mm-hmm. where I think they were sort of like, in the game plan, there were holes that were like, yeah, we'll deal with that later. It's like when you have the script and they haven't fixed the names, and so it's just like, oh, that character's named is unnamed character. That's mm-hmm. odd. Like, that's what Barcelona's approach seemed to be. And I think it just really stood out because of the unified approach and the, like, effort put in by Bayern Munich. Because yeah. even for the second goal, uh, checking my notes because there were so many, like, Perisic starts central, and though he ends up scoring from a wide angle, as you said, it's because he waits and then makes a really aggressive overlapping run from the middle of the field and it pulls people out of position and it causes lots of problems and just that that extra effort that belief that if i make this run if i put in that effort it's going to be rewarded and even if it's not it's probably going to open up space that was just like night and day from what i saw from barcelona i mean paris also just recognized where the space was right and very wisely um went went to find it it was a smart 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 move certainly so again there are 10 goals to choose from and i know We've been sort of scattershot referring to various goals as illustrations of what we're talking about. But are there any other particular goals that you would like us to focus in on and and discuss? No, I, I mean, probably the Alfonso Davies one, just because it, it's glorious. But I think, like... It was the it most conquered cafe. It is. I think I'll start with a later one, because I do think by... Really after the second goal, I think Barcelona realized they're in trouble, and Bayern Munich, I think, sent blood in the water. But the sixth goal is the one we're watching it... It, it it felt so strange to know that this is Barcelona because the whole defense switches off. This is another one where Arturo Vidal just kind of goes charging around. Who, just so people know what we're man. so people know what we're talking about. Who scores mm-hmm. the sixth goal? Which goal is this? This and is by, the, and by people I mean Daryl. Uh, this is the <laughs> Coutinho eventually crosses it in for Lewandowski's goal where he gets okay. the header. Yeah. But he is 
unmarked at the back post because Longley forgets that Robert Lewandowski is behind him, which is <laughs> to go uh, spoiler spoiler alert for later seasons of Game of Thrones if people still haven't watched. It is Khaleesi forgetting the Iron Fleet levels of, of strangeness <laughs> of like. You, you're going to forget that Robert Lewandowski is standing behind you, the man who you absolutely do not do not want to forget. But Longley <laughs> just absolutely switches off, as do most of the Barcelona defense. And I think to the extent that Vidal again gets really frustrated, nobody is charging with him and stops to yell at everybody and thus is no longer paying attention to Felipe Coutinho, who gets the ball and crosses it in. And it was that goal to me was Barca just sort of being very much improvised defending and everybody trying hard but not really having a plan versus Bayern Munich sort of trusting that things will work out. And yeah. like we've been in those situations there. We've been in those games where everybody starts to feel it and feel the confidence and some of the selfishness that maybe you have if it's only nil-nil or one-nil fades. And then your left back just kind of goes forward and shoots from 30 yards out but hits it top corner. And he's never done that before, but he did it today. It felt like Bayern Munich had everybody buying into that idea and yeah. Barcelona had everybody buying into the maybe we I, just need to work harder, but then not really working that much harder. I would give something of a pass to the behavior of Barcelona players from about the 70th minute onwards. Because <laughs> once it's 5-2, to, like, to yeah. me, that's to go back to the Dark Knight Rises analogy. That's mm-hmm. when they're in the pit and it turns out the back can't be fixed no matter how long you <laughs> lie there. Do you know what I'm saying? It definitely is like, a oh, we're being embarrassed in front of the world and there's nothing we can do about it. And it just leaves. It, it leads to just bad decisions, right? Because it's red mist for mm-hmm. red mist for everybody. I think. Yeah. Instead, it was apathetic mist to some extent. Yeah, and it's a mix, right? You get various reactions from various mm-hmm. people. You get some people charge around, like Arturo Vidal does for the fifth goal, right? Just charge around yeah. mindlessly, um, and you get other people who are just like, "Oh, just get me out of here." Which is yeah. <laughs> Arturo Vidal after that fifth goal goes in because he walks off the field. Oh man, I forgot that. Yeah, I forgot that he's involved in both of those goals because yeah. he is the one who tries to make a play. I, we should add for the fifth goal, which is Alfonso Davies just shredding people. He starts by shredding Lionel Messi, which I thought he was does. great, given that that's his idol. Yes, absolutely. I mean, if there was any doubt that Alfonso Davies was in that sort of top class, should be playing for Bayern Munich um, mm-hmm. uh, bracket. I mean, this game, th- this game is the definitive game, right? Yeah. Yeah. Every MLS player should add a, add a zero to their transfer fee now. <laughs> what did you like the most about that fifth goal and everything Alfonso Davies does? It, I think it's when he stands up Semedo and yeah. wiggles his left leg at him mm-hmm. <laughs> and then burns him for pace, wiggles again and then, get, and then gets around him. Um, at, he gets to the end line, basically, doesn't he? And then dribbles along the end line. I, mostly because, honestly, this is selfish, but as it was happening, I was thinking... Maybe Serginho Dest will be the right back for Barcelona next year. <laughs> or maybe he'll be a teammate of Alfonso Davies. And there's, this is a no-lose situation. I, yeah, I, I, think- I, know, I know you semi-defended him because other people were at fault. But Semedo really did have a very, very bad game defensively. He really did. He really did. I, and I think I'm with you. The standing up and then he... It's, it's interesting. I watch this one a lot to try to figure out what happens and how he gets beat so badly. And I think this is all very deliberate from Alfonso Davies, but he does this very big, like, step over of the ball with his left foot, but he kind of, like, waggles the foot when he does it. He does it once, and then he does it again. And Semedo doesn't really bite on either one of them. 
And then he goes to do it a third time, but this time instead of doing the big step over with the waggle, he just does a quick step <laughs> over and then and then cuts at the outside of his foot. And I think he like it's a it's like a double feint to then hit him with the other one, and that quickness is what totally wrong foot Sabedo. So that's yes. the like insult. My favorite part of this, which was the injury, was then Sabedo trying desperately to do something to cause any sort of problems and realizing not only, not only is Alfonso Davies very fast, but he is very good in possession, evidently, in terms of keeping the ball, and yeah. also very strong because Semedo has like two or three sort of, they seem to be half-hearted, I'm assuming they are full-hearted, but they look <laughs> half-hearted, attempts to get the ball, and he ends up just sort of laying on the ground, meekly going in for a slide tackle that is never going to come off, and yeah. I thought that double sequence was especially impressive. Yeah, the, the thing that Davies does, I think, is he um, executes a lot of moves in very quick succession. Um, and not frantically, yeah. he knows he knows which move he's going to end up with or when to exploit you because he sent you the wrong way and when to go. Yeah, and like you said, then there's the pace on top of that. And then if if the uh, defender manages to catch you up like Semedo does, then there's the strength to just shrug you off. Um, so he, he's got sort of like a one, two, three that um, he can destroy you with. Yeah, yeah. And then he got oh. a little slap in the face from Robert Lewandowski for his work. I mean, fantastic, fantastic. <laughs> um, any other players that stood out to you? The, the one I want to nominate that maybe won't get talked about, but I think really was magnificent, is Thiago. Um, mm-hmm. oh, not yeah. just because he's, you know, probably on the way out, right? He seems to be moving to Liverpool. He's probably only starting this game because of ben, Benjamin Pavard's injury. I'm pretty sure if Pavard was fit, Pavard would play right back and Kimmich would have been Goretzka's midfield mm-hmm. partner because that's what Hansi Flick's been doing with Bayern. And yet, Thiago steps into midfield and essentially looked like the real Sergio Busquets for this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and against his former team, that's got to feel good. Yeah, but, I'm, yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm with you, and it's not just that like he capably deputized, which isn't what you're saying, but I just want to double down on that. It's that there are moments when he hits balls that like you can just tell, like, oh, that's, that's Barcelona's academy coming into, the, yeah. <laughs> into play. Because he had one in the first half where there's like it's it's one of those where it's still chaotic. It's in the first 15 minutes or so, and it's like possession from Bayern, they lose the ball. Barcelona get the ball back, and they lose it. And it's really quickly back and forth, like four or five times it changes possession in like 20 seconds. And Thiago picks up a loose ball, and with his first touch, hits a line drive, like pinged ball out to the left channel to, I think, Alfonso Davies. And it was just like a 30-yard pass driven on the ground, but right to his feet, right into space. And it was just like sort of this reminder of how good he is and how much you need a player like that to, yeah. again, to your earlier point, calm things down when they're just getting a little too frenetic. He's so clean. He is yeah. so clean on the ball. Tiago could play on the worst field in England after three days of rain. And somehow afterwards, his boots would be clean. All right, let's get him to Stoke. We'll see no what mud. happens. No, yeah, he would emerge from Britannia <laughs> Stadium with no mud on his boots um, and a, the man of the match champagne every single time. He would tame the wind, he would. <laughs> he would yes. tame the wind. Perisic thought, would tame the wind. Also, Perisic would do the Ross Geller gesture at the wind coming through Stoke and it would just stop. <laughs> uh, I thought Thiago was also very good in his positioning that sometimes he would drop between the two center backs. Sometimes he was in a more advanced position. Sometimes he was hitting with his left foot, which he clearly does not do very often. And that shot went wide. Yeah. So I thought he was pretty impressive. And speaking of players who I thought maybe weren't going to be that important to Bayern Munich going forward, but maybe will be, Ivan Perisic, a player we've already talked about, I just want to double down on feeling like I did not know why he was starting this game. Like I thought they had other options who would maybe work out a little bit better. 
and yet scores a goal, looks very, very difficult to deal with if you are a Barcelona defender, causes lots of problems, does have the influence you've already talked about. I thought he also stood out maybe because I had sort of low expectations for him coming in. What's the, um, I'm going to put you on the spot here. What's the Perisage situation? I know he's on loan from Inter, but is he option to buy? Is it already executed? Or is he going back to Inter? What's, what's going on there? I do not know any of that other than to say that I think with the way Inter have been recruiting and the fact that it's Antonio Conte who let him go in the first place, I'm going to guess Bayern have an option to buy or will have an option to buy if they so choose. I don't know if they will because they do have Leroy Sana coming in and Mm. that is another winger that you'd have to deal with with uh, a fairly stacked talent pool already. Uh, So I won't be surprised if they do, but I also won't be surprised if they don't. Yeah, my my very quick Google search on my phone reveals that there is an option to buy, but there's also Leroy Sané, so... (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. That would be that would be maybe one too many players. Uh, before we say anything else, Taylor, yeah. um, today's show is sponsored by Fubo, which is where I watched about half of this game. Uh, I via, did as well. Uh, Today and but it's where I DVR'd all of it. So Fubo TV is essentially a cable replacement, but you get it through the internet and you can watch it on Apple TV or Roku or Amazon Fire or some weird off-brand version of that, if that's what you've got. You can watch it on your iPad, you can watch it on your iPhone, you can watch it on your laptop. Once you have Fubo TV, you can basically watch soccer anywhere, and it is the best. It also spoils you with a lot of its features. Like Even though you're watching live sports happening, you can still easily go back 15 seconds. It kind of has that quick back feature yes, that, love it. say, the CBS All Access app does not. And so I kept <laughs> trying to find that button to be like, wait, what just happened here? And it wasn't uh, yes. as easy if possible at all. Whereas with Fubo, you can sort of, especially if you want to see what happened in the moment, if you are sort of watching from a tactical standpoint to figure out what was the build-up 40 seconds before that, you can do that really, really easily. But you can also just... If if you happen to be looking at your phone when a goal went in, go back and figure out what happened there. And without naming any other soccer streaming apps, mm-hmm. I will say that once you've got Fubo, all of the others kind of feel really frustrating. The login process feels yeah. more frustrating. The uh, the interface feels more frustrating. Um, once you've experienced Fubo, where it really is, you just open it up and away you go. All the soccer is genuinely at your fingertips and it's especially useful i know not everybody's a podcaster uh but it is especially useful for us right Taylor, because we can just you know pull it up and find a goal uh, like in seconds uh using fubo i'm sure people who don't have podcasts would like to do that as well yeah and like i'm glad you said that because i haven't really been able to like figure that out like i've i've understood that i really enjoyed fubo and appreciated the ease that it like allows you to watch things. Uh, but I don't think that was a good sentence, but you get what I'm saying. But I think you're absolutely right that with a lot of other apps, you have to like scroll through and be like, no, I'm not, I don't want shows. I don't want to be in shows. No, I don't want to be in movies either. No, I'm trying to find the sports. And it's just like, here are sports. Here's the sport you want. Here's yeah. the, like the, the thumbnail of the two teams you're trying to find. And now you're watching the game. They have really simplified it and made it very easy in a way that I don't fully understand why other apps do mm-hmm. not. And Pride of Place, once you log in, goes to ESPN, Fox Sports, to NBC Sports, to Today NA, which is an absolute goldmine. And sometimes there are fun Nico Kovac comments that you can pick up from context. Or <laughs> if you speak Spanish, then you're, you're even better, right? You're even better. So much soccer is available through the Fubo TV app. Um, and if go. you go to fubo.tv slash TSS, that's fubo.tv slash TSS. Link will be in the show notes. You can get a seven-day free trial and try it out for yourself. Get a good look at Fubo. Fubo.tv slash TSS. 
So I know we're going to talk a little bit about how Barcelona have gotten to the place they are currently residing. Uh, but I wanted to say one more thing about Bayern Munich, yeah, which yeah. is that though they were so dominant in this game and looked so very, very good, I am with Jamie Carragher. I watched the uh, CBS uh, post-match, which I thought was very good and provided some good analysis, where he was saying, like, that back line and the spacing they gave Barcelona could be a big problem against a team like Manchester City because it's worth remembering that, yes, Bayern were stepping very, very high, and yes, they were gambling, but they were gambling against Barcelona, led by Luis Suarez and Lionel Messi, who are both quick, certainly faster than I am, but they're not Kylian Mbappe. They're not that fast of players. And to some extent, it was a bigger gamble for Bayern, or for Barcelona to try to play a high line to deal with Bayern's speed. And I do think Bayern could have some problems with Man City, so how they adapt to what Man City will certainly, or very likely Man City, I should say. I'm ju- jumping to conclusions that it will be them. You, you never sure know for are. sure. You but sure if it is... Are. Like, Raheem Sterling faster than Luis Suarez is all I'm trying to say. I mean, Pep Guardiola against any of his former teams that still bear some of the Guardiola stamp, which they definitely do under Hansi Flick. Leon are going to win, aren't they? I've just guaranteed that, haven't I? Yeah, I think you've jinxed it. Uh, I think you've jinxed it. I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. Speaking of, Saturday's show will be me and Joe Lowry reviewing Manchester City versus Leon and then taking your US men's national team and Major League Soccer Mm. questions. If you have a question for Joe, especially MLS or US national team, um, please totalsoccershow.com slash questions and just mention Joe's name when you ask the question and we'll make sure to to try and include it and to ask him. Please send it as soon as possible because, you know, I want to get these questions to Joe and not spring them on him (laughs) in the middle of the show. Nah, spring on him. He'll be fine. I mean, I'll do that to you, but I wouldn't do that to a guest. Let's see if we can get him rattled. Joe doesn't seem like he rattles easily. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think he'd be hard to rattle. I think you'd have to work pretty hard. I'm I not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Um, <laughs> before we talk about what's gone wrong at Barcelona, I want to maybe mention the fact that massive evidence of what's gone wrong at Barcelona um, <laughs> happened in the final <laughs> five minutes of this game. Because yeah. it's 6-2. Mm-hmm. And the seventh and eighth goals are scored by Felipe Coutinho, yeah. who is what a 100 and something million uh, euro player who is on loan from Barcelona at Bayern Munich. I can give you the dollar amount if you want. Okay. I mean, yeah, it's massive. It's like 142? $162 million. Ooh, so yeah, so I want to say it's 142 million euros then. $160 million, as Taylor yeah. says. A Barcelona player, that's how much they paid Liverpool for him. Uh-huh. He's on loan at Bayern. He's on yeah. Bayern's bench. He comes yeah. off the bench and scores the final two goals. That just is, it's not even rubbing salt into the wounds, it's wounds. It's rubbing another knife into the wounds. It is. He didn't celebrate, as I recall. And, no, and I he can't didn't. tell if that's because it's against his current former team. I think if so. that makes sense. Yeah. Or if it's just because he just felt bad at that point. It could be either one. Well, he's also, his future's uncertain, right? Because I know yeah. Bayern like, did not want to pay the. Uh, the rather large uh, fee to acquire him. It's like close to 100 million that Barcelona won, right? So mm-hmm. at least temporarily, Coutinho is going to be going <laughs> back to Catalonia. So he's got to keep relations good, I think. It's just still strange to me that like it could be he's playing against his former club. He's not sure what's happening. But also, again, we've seen those games where a team is beating somebody 8-0 and like you stop celebrating around like the fourth goal, maybe. And it, <laughs> it had vibes of that, too, of like, yeah, I know, I know. This doesn't really count. We're already up so much. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, but it's it definitely probably, does. It's probably 50% that and 50% just watching <laughs> out for his future, right? Yeah. Um, shall I move us into what I think will be the final segment of today's show? Sure. With a well-timed question. We were not going to do listener questions on today's show, but then I just happened to see appear in our inbox a question from Shreyas Romani, who always asks good questions. And today Shreyas asked, what's been going on behind the scenes at Barcelona the past several months or years? 
And how concerned should fans be about the future of the team of the team after Messi or even that Messi wants out? It's kind of two questions in one sentence. So well done to you, Shreyas. That was sneaky. Um, let's go with the first part first, Taylor. What's been going on behind the scenes at Barcelona the past several months or years? Essentially, here's another way of phrasing this. Um, afterwards, I think, was it Busquets or Piquet said, this is rock bottom. Um, Jamie Carragher on CBS said, this is the end of an era. And I think both of them are correct. I think this is, things are going to change at Barcelona, right? So how did we get from... The Pep Guardiola years, and then, you know, the Luis Enrique years, where there was MSN, like Messi, Suarez, Neymar, and they yeah, won they the won Champions the League, they won the treble. From about, it's actually mm-hmm. from, from after Luis Enrique leaving, right, in around about 2017, things really went wrong at Barcelona. So to trace his question, what has gone wrong in broad strokes in the last three years? All right, so yeah, I'll start there, because... It is around 2017. I think you could even say it starts a little bit earlier. Uh, 2015 is basically the last undeniably good transfer window they have. That's when they bring in Luis Suarez, uh, Ter Stegen, and Ivan Rakitic. That's for, uh, I think, a combined total of 165 million euros, which is roughly what they start playing for individual players after that. And that is the after that there being when Neymar leaves. And I think that is maybe one of the bigger steps or one of the bigger sort of like categories in what has gone wrong with Barcelona is the departure of Neymar. Yes. And it's not just because he was so good, he's unreplaceable. It's how they went about replacing him and how they felt they needed to replace him that I think have caused big problems currently. I'm all in. Yeah, I'm all in on this this idea or theory. Um, I It's probably way more complicated. I'm sure we could dig up all kinds of like little factoids and, and odd little things. But I think you're right. In broad strokes, PSG like forcibly take Neymar, right, with Neymar's consent by doing the buyout clause thing and paying his 220 million euro buyout clause, which is essentially there at such a high number to make sure that no one is ever willing to pay it. It's almost a joke number, the buyout mm-hmm. clauses in La Liga contracts. But PSG are like, well, we'll pay it. So they lose Neymar. And I think it rattles the Barcelona hierarchy psychologically in terms of we're not supposed to be the team that loses players in this way and I would argue that probably led by the president Bartomeu they are from the moment Neymar is taken from them they're on a mission to sign a Neymar replacement and not in a sensible way and like oh who could fill that left-sided role and like still make us work it's like a who could be a uh, like 100 million plus euro player that we can like make a real big statement with, right? And they yeah. try Coutinho, and they try Usman Dembele, and they try Antoine Griezmann. Mm-hmm. I'm really confident in saying all those guys were over 100 million euros each, right? Griezmann was 132 million dollars, Coutinho 160 million dollars, Dembele 152 million. <laughs> I love your refusal to use euros, but again, it. it wasn't yeah. that it was at transfer market. I couldn't figure out how to switch it over to, to euros. <laughs> oh, you just yell euros. You have to yell euros at your laptop. Oh, okay, yeah, that's all. Try it. Just yell it real loud. Um, and- but, but yes, I wanna, this I wanna, is it, right? They are trying to prove a point that we're still a big team and we can get big names. And like that's not the way to build a team because all of those guys have been a failure in one way or another compared to what was expected. And one of them scored two goals for Bayern Munich today. Yeah, because like, if you want to say... like. Like, we're a little bit concerned about losing Neymar. And I think initially, as I recall, I haven't really gone back and read much from that summer, but as I recall, a big part of that transfer saga was uh, Griezmann himself. That that was when they were sort of stalling on the Neymar move because they wanted to get Griezmann confirmed so that once one thing happened, the other one happened. Then because he it would does look better decision. that way, right? What's that? Because it would look better that way. Like, right, oh, yeah, exactly. we lost Neymar, but look who's coming. 
Yeah, or like, did we even lose him, or did we get who we wanted all along? Yeah, right. But then he does his version of the decision. He stays with Atleti, and then they do start having, like, they do start kind of throwing that money around in a way that, to me, is almost trying to make a point in and of itself. That, yeah. like, you, I, like, did you really need to spend $152 million on Usman Dembele? I feel like you could have gotten him for a little bit less than that. But it's mm-hmm. almost a, like, not only do we have that money, but we will spend that money because that's how dominant we are, and it won't even cause us problems. And again, and it's not, not that like, big of a deal. It's not like they have Manchester City money where it doesn't mm-hmm. matter if they nope. lose that much money, right? And the evidence of that is the weird deal they did with Juventus this summer, mm-hmm. where Juventus did the art tour for Pjanic swap um, and to credit David Amoyal with describing this it's essentially so that both teams can report um, uh, a big sale coming in so they can put the big numbers on their books as if they sold a player even though they kind of didn't really right, right exactly yeah you're, it's the valuation that yeah. then they use as what the actual so, fee was so they spent money they didn't have to prove that they were still this gigantic team because their ego was damaged by losing Neymar is that a fair yeah, way and- to say it? Yeah, it is. And then, like, and I want to go back to the idea of this, the spending the money, but I want to focus in on what, like, the player acquisition strategy was because I had an analogy that I didn't end up using that, like, Byron's tactics in this game or Barcelona's tactics in this game felt like if you had 20 and you were playing blackjack and you hit just because why not? And you, an ace came up and you got 21 and then you were like, oh, I'm going to hit on every time I have 20 and it never worked again. And it feels like, feels like that here that they bring in a player for an insane amount of money and it doesn't quite work. And rather than revive the strategy or look elsewhere where you might need to strengthen to maybe make that player play better or how can you bring them in it's no we'll just buy somebody else no we'll buy somebody else and to your point they don't really have that money and i think another aspect of where barcelona are now is more of an intangible thing and maybe this is more of a fan-oriented thing But as you start to spend that money, you have to then make that money, which means that you have to care more about commercial sponsorships and specifically shirt sponsorships. Unless we forget, like, what, 10, 15 years ago, Barcelona have no shirt sponsor. It's an intentional thing. Nobody will sponsor our shirt. Then they give away the shirt sponsorship to UNICEF. UNICEF. And it's like not only are we not taking money in, but we are being charitable in this. And now they have Qatar on the front of their shirt. And that, (laughs) I think, is – not just criticizing them for that, but it's more so, I think, representative of the club moving away from some of its roots of bringing through young players through La, uh, La Masia and kind of having that identity always and playing this specific style of soccer and not just being Galactico. That's what Real Madrid do. We don't do that. Now I think they've lost that identity a little bit and you don't have that thing to sort of unify to go back on. And when you don't have that sort of foundational identity, at least not right now, I think it makes an 8-2 loss feel even worse because you can't go back to, oh, well, we'll just, you know, like kind of tighten up. It's a, like a low, a low talent pool right now, but we've got more academy players coming through. We're fine. Yeah. It feels like the well, whole system is flawed. And to go back to like how many different players have been tried on the left wing um, you know, Arturo Vidal at left mid today, like uh, Griezmann came on and sort of played that role later, right? Dembele somewhere floating around the club. Coutinho's out on loan. Um, and Sufati was sitting on the bench. And yep. for me, I, I haven't watched every Barcelona game this season, but I've seen a few. I'm pretty sure the period when Barcelona were doing pretty well and were top of the league, Ansu Fati was getting regular mm-hmm. minutes, right? This is a 17-year-old La Masia product, right? Also sitting on the bench is uh, Ricky Puig, like, yo- like young mm-hmm. player who's come through La Masia. I think there are... St- it's not like you're never going to get the Iniesta, Xavi, Busquets, PK generation all over again, right? It's like a... That, that's when you just hit big and a whole generation of talent comes through. But there, are there, there were still players coming through La Masia that I think the path to the first team is just a little more clogged up now because money keeps being spent and then the money gets to play first. 
I hadn't really thought about this until you said that, so feel free to shut this one down. But like, there's also something to be said for when you reach that level of we're this gigantic club who can throw money around, even if we don't necessarily have all that money, but we can throw a lot of money around, that becomes the expectation. And to some extent, then, if you do have Ansu Fati, I think there is a fear within the Barcelona board of like, but that doesn't look like we're really trying yeah. to win the title. We can't say we're, we're, we're really going for it if we're bringing through academy players and relying on the kids. No, we've got to go sign some high-profile name, even if the kid on the bench could potentially be the next Lionel Messi or yep. Xavi or Iniesta or whomever. So here's an important thing, I think. When all these players came through, um, I think it was because Barcelona had hit a... I don't have the history exactly right in my head, but I think Barcelona had hit a bit of a low yeah. and it created room for the young players to come through. Like when, you know, it's originally um, Iniesta and all those guys coming through. Um, so it may be that Barcelona are reborn in this way again because they've hit rock bottom and it's the end of an era and all that stuff, right? The big problem I see is that you've still got the end of this golden generation who are 32, 33, yep. and are going to be difficult to move out of the first team. You've mm-hmm. got Sergio Busquets being 32 years old. You've got Piquet being 33. You've got Leo Messi at 33. Uh, Suarez, not La Masia, but uh, we looked it up and he's also 33, right? He's already out of 31. Yes, yeah, so you've got guys that I think would be quite hard to move on because I don't know who else will match their wages. And Busquets is this club legend, and you've, there's got to be a certain amount of tact about how you elbow him out the way. So you don't do that, basically. There's got to be a graceful way for him to exit. And I, even looking at like like a, Frankie de Jong and Sergio Busquets kind of don't complement each other. They kind of, it would be better to just have, it'd be better for Frankie de Jong if Sergio Busquets yeah. wasn't there, right? It would have been better for Thiago if Sergio Busquets wasn't there and he could have stayed at Barcelona. But at some point, it needs to be De Jong's team for the future. But it can't quite be that while Busquets is there. And you can't just push Busquets out the door. And it becomes this sort of insolvable problem, right? And you almost have to go through this horrible period where you kind of suck for a year or two because you've got these legends that are still there. So let me ask you this then. Is it better or worse? I know this sounds like a ludicrous question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Is it better or worse for them if Lionel Messi stays? So this this answers the second half of Shreyas's question, right? Mm-hmm. He's asking like, how concerned, should, how concerned should fans be about the future of the team after Messi, or that Messi wants out? Kind of forgot that that was the second part of the question. Can I say one more thing before we get to that? Then, yeah. <laughs> um, my only other thing that I wanted to mention is that you you hear the names that we've already talked about thrown around a lot in terms of kind of careless spending from Barcelona, but like a better example to me is the summer of 2016. They spent 125 million euros on Andre Gomes, Paco Alcácer, Samuel Ntiti, Lucas Digne, Jesper Sillison, Dennis Suarez. None of those people involved in this game today. I don't yes. think any of them were even on the bench for this. Yeah. Many of them have since left. But so they outside spend of the that, Neymar replacements, there are some terrible um, like transfer decisions as well. Neto for 28 million, Andre Gomes for 40 million, and then the one that like never made sense even in the moment, Martin Braithwaite, 20 million dollars. Like he's never going to play for them. <laughs> like it's just <laughs> there's also that 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 stuff adds up, and you can miss on 160 million, and that's going to be a very high profile thing. But if you also miss on the five players beneath them who also equal 100 million, then you're missing there too. And it's kind of consistently whiffing in their recruitment is a major major issue, and it's probably why they have to rely on Lionel Messi so much. The question then becomes do they want to continue to do that does he want them to continue to do that now we can get to that second part of the question so yeah this is i think i often make this argument so this might just be my personal taste or my you know the thing that i believe in i think teams that are too heavily dependent and too dominated by one player 
are unhealthily balanced teams. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the last five years or so is that Leo Messi has, it seems to me, looking in from the outside, been accumulating power, essentially, right? Where he's all, you can see him doing less and less defending. You mentioned this when we talked about mm-hmm. what if he played for Klopp. You can see him doing less and less work, right? He does because, nothing after he loses that yeah. challenge to Alfonso Davies. He stands there and watches. Because that's other people's jobs, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, if you go back to the Guardiola era, Messi was all in on the, like, win the ball back in six seconds kind of thing, right? Messi was um, doing uh, lots of offensive and, and defensive things. I worry that there's too much um, too much leaning on Messi and just hoping that he will dribble through the entire team and score a goal. And that worked in the round of 16 second leg, right? Mm-hmm. But that probably doesn't get you much beyond the quarterfinals. And I just think it's an unhealthy dressing room if you've got this club legend who has too much power. So thing- even though he's still the best player in the world by a mm-hmm. distance, I don't think it would be the worst thing if he moved on. So I agree with you. Strangely enough, strange as it is, I think you could see it today. Obviously, if you're losing 8-2 in front of a global audience, you're not going to be thrilled and you're going to look really, really angry. But knowing the situation, which we didn't talk necessarily about Bartomeu and the presidential elections, but essentially the gist of it is that the team hates the current president. Most of the fans hate the current president. There's not an election for another year, which is why Xavi, for example, was supposed to take over but has not and has been hesitant to do so, I think, because he does not want to deal with the current board and the current president. So if they sack Setien... It's almost as though they're basically like, I know Pochettino has maybe kind of softened his stance and I'm never going to coach Barcelona. So maybe they'll go with that. But like Xavi is still the heir apparent, but he won't take that job for another year. And if you're Lionel Messi, if they do wait around, if they're not sure what they're going to do, like you kind of don't have any of the answers you need to feel confident in your decision. So that's one part of where I agree. The other thing that, again, I hadn't really thought of this until you were explaining it, is like Barcelona are, to some extent, Argentina at this point. It's the Argentina <laughs> problem with Lionel Messi, that yes. he is so good that you're going to kind of rely on him. But I think Barcelona in the past... The entire squad was so good that, yes, you could rely on him, but when teams triple-team Lionel Messi, you still had this very aggressive, consistent game plan with players who knew exactly what they were supposed to be doing. So fine, triple-team Messi, Xavi's going to score four goals, or Rakitic is going to score two goals. Like We have other players who can step up, and I think if you don't have that unifying approach, the team that is all bought into the same system and style, then it is Argentina. Just give the ball to Messi and let's hope something happens. Yeah, the ideal situation is always system first, and then the star players are these sort of extra difference makers but yep. the system comes first and the star player is brought into the brought into the system yeah exactly yeah. that's what's going on at liverpool right yep. now it's not there's a, there's a reason why liverpool when it was like all about mohamed salah didn't quite make it but when it became about the the system was fully working and salah's scoring fewer goals but is part of the whole then they win the champions league and then the premier league right? yeah even man city man Man City, like, like they have so many good players, but do they have one single standout star player? Like, I don't think so. You could make arguments for three or four different players. Bayern, to some extent, the same thing. That, like, yes, Robert Lewandowski is going to score a ton of goals. Yes, Thomas Muller is really, really good. Joshua Kimmich can play, I think, 40 different positions, even though there aren't that many on the field. But, again, you don't have that one, like, head and shoulders above everybody else player that you're always going to look to that is always going to kind of be the focus of attention. So there we go. Um, is there Man. anything else to talk about with Messi? So I guess to answer Strauss's question, should fans be worried about Messi leaving? I, would, I wouldn't like hope that he leaves, but essentially if it happens, it's, it's kind of an opportunity for a fresh start is maybe the best way to look at it. 
I think that is the positive way to look at it. I, I agree with you that I think if he stays, Barca fans should be happy. If he leaves, I don't think that they should be like beside themselves with grief because I think it does open yeah. up opportunities. And I think it gives you more freedom to play in certain ways because he was not defending, nor was Luis Suarez. That was a consistent thing as well in the second half was Barca had eight outfield players behind the ball, but never all 10, which Atleti oftentimes will. And Taylor, so again, it, yep. it also depends on who is coaching Barcelona next mm-hmm. season because I have a report in front of me from uh, Fabrizio Romano of Sky Sports. Um, Barcelona have fired Kike Setien. There you go. Yeah. I mean, we, yeah. we knew this would happen, right? I kind of deliberately checked my phone because I thought this will probably happen while we're recording. Again, I would argue this is Barcelona like trying to make a statement and this is more about spin and PR to get him fired mm-hmm. fast rather than a really well thought out decision. But it's not but it's not a surprise, right? But, no, but and the, the reason I mention that, before we speculate on who yeah. might manage Barcelona next, this, for example, this could be bad news for Leeds United fans, just, you know, worth, worth mentioning. Um, there is another scenario where a new coach comes in and comes in strong, comes in with like power over the team, which is not how Setien came in, right? Setien came in as almost, I think I joked at the time that he was like Barcelona's biggest super fan coming in. To, mm-hmm. You couldn't believe he was being, being given the chance to coach this team. But if some more authoritative figure comes in, it may be that someone could be like, hey, Leo, get in shape, get this right. You yeah, know what I mean? Was it that Ernesto Valverde? <laughs> Like, yes, and that's it's kind that's of the other thing, yeah. Yeah. But I'm saying there's an, there is another scenario where a more like authoritative coach is able to like, you know, get Messi to accept his place in the hierarchy, which is that uh, your number 10 should not be top of the hierarchy. Mhm. I I think in the same way that like I have my hesitations about getting excited about Manchester United because there's no director of football and thus I don't believe in there's an actual vision. If you have the same people who've been making those same decisions though, like it, like the Setien appointment, by all accounts, was a like we just want everybody to be happy and we want to play the Barca yeah. way and everybody will like it because he worships the Barca way after yep. Valverde tried to do something different. And Xavi said and again, no. As you yeah, mentioned. and you're sort of seeing the scattershot approach that they have with their transfer activity with their managerial activity. Yep. Like, oh, okay, that's not okay. We'll do this then. Okay, that's no, we'll do this then. And like you, you've got to kind of be able to support your manager and not be like, yes, we definitely support the manager as long as Lionel Messi agrees. And I'm not trying to paint Lionel Messi as the villain. It's just he is the world's best player. He is one of the biggest names in the sport ever. And so you do have to do that math. You have to try to keep him happy because so goes Messi, so goes Barcelona. Uh, until he's not there anymore and then you have a bit more freedom but yeah who they bring in is going to be fascinating and what he tries to do to deal with some of the issues we've talked about will also be fascinating you know what's happened is the wheel has turned and barcelona have become the bad galacticos era real madrid Mm -hmm. where i read coaches come and go and star players have too much power and they just throw money at big names every summer to hope that it makes a difference. I never thought this day would come, but but here we are, right? And Real Madrid have a, a pretty pretty steady settled coach in Zinedine Zidane. It, it, I forget where I read this, so I apologize to whoever uh, I, I'm sort of lifting this from. But it is a strangely cyclical relationship, that Barcelona-Real Madrid relationship, because you're right that like now it seems like Madrid have kind of the stability, they're in the ascendancy, but then very recently it was like, who's going to manage Madrid? And Rafa Benitez is there? Like, okay, yeah. sure, I guess that's a good idea. Yeah. Uh, but even then before that, you had uh, like with the Dino team that, I think they humiliated Madrid, but then there's also the like Barcelona team that gets humiliated the other way around. And I think it is a sort of like one team is up, one team is down. Sometimes it overlaps 
for a little bit. Yeah. But it does tend to be, I think, how they push each other is one team responds and gets way better and gets stronger and their recruitment is stronger and the development is stronger and then the other team has to adjust to that. It's it's brinksmanship of a certain degree. Well, yeah, I think they drive each other to insanity, basically. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, yeah. <laughs> so what's going on at Barcelona, I think, will be a great story for us to follow yeah. over the next month or so because after the champions league we're going to have a little preseason lull right where there's there's not that much going on i'm going to watch the spurs documentary i'm hoping maybe you'll you'll talk about that with me um i'm yes not going to watch ted lasso i don't think no i'm a little concerned about it um mm-hmm. that's just a, a quick glimpse into the future anything else you want to talk about with barcelona taylor before we uh before we shut up shop it feels very strange to say that it wouldn't be a huge loss to Barcelona if Lionel Messi left, um, because it would. I think that they could recover from it, obviously. I'm, if they could get some sort of money from it, that would also be pretty useful as well. Um, but I think from a marketing what that says about the club, the club identity standpoint, it would be such a big blow. And as we've already talked about with the way they responded to Neymar, mm-hmm. I, I just I don't think they will let it happen. I think they will do everything in their power and give him whatever he wants to make him stay, to keep him there so that they don't have to be Barcelona who are in free fall and have also lost Lionel Messi and don't have a manager. That might be one too far. So I do not think he will leave, but I do think that you will hear a lot of rumors about it. I do think he will get a massive new contract and probably more control or like uh, something else but i think he'll end up staying and i think he'll end up being very well paid for it all right to close on a bit of weirdness then what if the barcelona move the Bartomeu move in his final year of his presidency probably after this disaster is to decide you know who we should have replaced neymar with it was cristiano ronaldo so you and i talked about this as a hypothetical from a listener question yesterday and I went and read a rumor afterwards that Juve are struggling with the size of Ronaldo's wages and have been sort of shopping him around and seeing, would anyone be interested in taking Ronaldo off our hands and paying his wages? Um, and apparently the, the rumor is that Barcelona said, no, that's a lot of money. Maybe this changes the calculation and suddenly the, the hierarchy are like, that would make a splash. Let's spend the money. Can I make it even more absurd? Yes. What if what if Ronaldo is who they replaced Messi with? <laughs> wow. Wow. If they're like, never mind, we'll just bring him in. He was the better one all along. We've always <laughs> felt that way. <laughs> but couldn't you see I mean, it like taking taking Ronaldo off of Juventus's hands, paying him a fortune, probably paying Juve uh, something of a transfer fee, and then having a fire sale on Griezmann, Coutinho, and everybody else to just try and like scrape in some money and make make the finances work, but make that one last big splash where we pay the big name player the big money and see if that works. It, it it does feel like par for the course for what they've been doing. The one thing that we haven't really touched on yet, because as you said, this was a sort of like quickly introduced question that we haven't done the full research on. I, I believe I'm correct in saying that their financial position is not good, putting it lightly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that would be the problem is how do you finance that move? I think you're right. They would have to sell on a lot of different players. Yeah. I think they're going to need to do that anyway to do any sort of business. Uh, but yeah, the amount that that would take in his weekly wages, unless he was willing to at the end of his career be like, yeah, I'm going to go be the dominant force in Barcelona for whatever they want to pay me. Then maybe he takes that one. Maybe he goes back to Spain. But it also makes his career journey even stranger, which would be kind of fun. Yeah. And then then maybe he'll do a year at Man City to close out. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I think on that crazy, crazy note where... And then Porto? Is it he retires with Porto? (laughs) That's how it'd have to go? Yes. And then whatever island is next to Madeira. (laughs) 
Um, let's close it out there then, Taylor. Um, uh, let's close by saying thank you, Taylor Rockwell, for taking the time to talk to me today. Right back at you, buddy. Listeners, thank you for listening. And Joe Larry and I will talk to you tomorrow. 